feel like you're doing like uh, gymnastics in your brain. Yeah. When when all you're talking and like you're like don't know what to right. And then say I was like, wait, what, what did I sign NDAs on? I'm trying to remember. <laughs> Yeah. And these are usually like 45 minutes? Is that what uh, you're... Like, yeah, around 30 or 45 minutes okay. I try to start wrapping up, but I also, but that means it takes another like 20 minutes to w- yeah. wind down, so they're within about an hour. Yeah. Okay. So Yeah, I, the ones I listen to online I feel like were around 45. Yeah. 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 Um, cool. Which ones did you listen to? Um, I can't, they were the two most recent ones. Jess Howell. Yes. Oh, Jess Conweiler, the two yeah. Jesses? Yeah, it was, it was Jesses. Yeah, I was just going to yeah, say. I want to say they were both named Jess, but that doesn't seem right. Pure coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, do you have any questions before we start? Or? No. All right. Well, I guess we'll get started then. Okay. Cool. So, uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode. I've lost track at this point. It's been a couple weeks since I've done it. Um, but yeah, I'd like to welcome Janelle Riley. Hello. Hey. <laughs> Cool. Janelle, thanks for stopping by. And yeah, thanks for having me. Sorry if I sound a little logy. I'm, I'm getting over food poisoning. <laughs> yeah, it's cool, but we, we talked about that yesterday. Yes. Was, it might not be food poisoning, it might be... Yes, it <laughs> might be my stubbornness to accept that I have a gluten intolerance. Yes, <laughs> and I've been there. Really? I am there. Are you gluten-free? Um, no. I, we, I told you, I was like, I, I can't do it. Like, I, I love my sandwiches too much. Yeah. And gluten-free bread, it's like, I mean, the closest I've gotten is like La Brea Bakery. They make gluten-free bread? They do. Oh, wow. Yeah. I might have to check that out. You know, my doctor literally for three years now, because mm-hmm. we've cut out so many different things from my diet, and she's like, I think it's gluten, I think it's gluten, you know, and she makes it sound like this magic pill, your skin will clear up, and <laughs> you'll feel so much better, and you won't get sick anymore, and I just can't. <laughs> I'm going to, someday, someday. Mm-hmm. Someday. Hopefully in the near future. Someday. <laughs> well, you should try La Brea, Bakery, La Brea Bakery's bread. That is a tongue twister. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. You should try La Brea Bakery's bread. Got it. Because um, it's, it's pretty good. Oh, just always good mm-hmm. advice. Try La Brea Bakery's bread. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're amazing. Cool. Um, and so you are uh, award deputy of awards? Awards yeah, deputy? Yeah. And speaking and of fe- mouthfuls, it's uh, <laughs> deputy awards and features editor. At Variety. Yes. yes. Cool. I usually just say editor. I'm an editor. <laughs> You're an editor at Variety. Gotcha. Um, awesome. And that, and you took that post in 2013, I believe, correct? Oh my gosh, that's right. It'll be three years in September. It feels like so much longer. I mean, yeah. <laughs> not in a bad way, but yeah, it's hard to believe. It's only been three years. Yeah. Not even three years, two and a half. Uh, that's, I mean, the, the award, you know, noticing that there's an awards calendar. Yes. You know, it probably feels like... You know, you just go through these cycles. It's so true. I count things not January through December, but the Toronto Film Festival through the Oscars. That's my (laughs) calendar. So we'll get into that a little later. I kind of want to go back to the beginning, as I'm sure you heard on my previous episodes. Like, I like to talk about high school and where you've come from and how you got to where you are today. So um, you're from Salem, Oregon. I am. Just got back. Yeah, just got back from a visit. Yes. First visit in five and a half years. Wow. Has it changed a lot? You know, in some ways, it's like shocking how much it's changed. And then in other ways, there's still the same little mom and pop stores or the same street that has always needed a stop sign, you know, so some things have changed dramatically and then some not at all. Uh huh. Yeah. I remember when I, so I'm from LA and I went to UCSB up the coast, but like I wasn't here all that much during my time there. And when I came back, you know, the construction on the 405 started, was happening and I was like... Things are so different. 
So even I, I, I know where you're coming from. Yeah. yeah. And I keep, mm-hmm. I promise to get back like every year and then just five and a half years got away from me. And then ironically, I have to go back three times this year. So I'm making up for lost time. Yeah. Cool. Um, and I assume you went to high school there. I did. Yeah. Yes. And, w- and what was your experience like in high school? Like, were you a part of the drama? Yes. I was a total theater nerd. <laughs> total theater nerd. Um, gosh, it's funny because I haven't thought about this in so long, but then having gone home last week, I saw a lot of my old friends and realized we were kind of doing risque plays Yeah. in high school. We were doing Noises Off. Okay. You know, and not the edited version. Uh-huh. We were doing California Suites, um, which actually has some pretty raunchy storylines. Um, and we did Once Upon a Mattress. I was, um, I cannot sing to save my life. So whenever we did a musical, I had the non-singing role. <laughs> Gotcha. So once upon a mattress, I was the woman who only knew one word of English. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Um, and I guess uh, one of my favorite questions to ask is: if you go back in time to high school and you look at your CD player uh, and you open it up, what CD is inside? Gosh, I'm actually trying to think if we even had CD players that I might have been on. Could a be a cassette tapes. player. It was definitely Billy Joel. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah. I. I like I said. I can't sing. I know nothing about music. But Billy Joel has been my one standby for the last thirty some years. Wow. Yeah. Even today, like I. Even though he's you know, marrying people younger <laughs> than me. <laughs> the music still. Yes. Yes. But he's a rock star. What do you expect? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, you were part of the drama department and, and you had this performance bug and you, you know, you were a WTK as we called ourselves, the, the weird theater kids. Um, <laughs> but at my school, the weird theater kids were kind of cool. Ours too. Yeah. Ours too a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I went to a small private school just down the road here. Oh, really? And so it was such a small school that yeah. there wasn't, everybody was in each other's business, you know? And yeah. <laughs> so. I, I almost wish I had more angsty stories from high school. Yeah. You know, I might be a lot more like successful if I <laughs> if I had been beaten down more, but no, I had, I had a pretty happy high school experience unfortunately. I got you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so the the plight of the, you know, the high school experience where it's not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. <laughs> um and then uh, did you where, where did you go after high school? Did you go I went to the University of Oregon. I did not stray far. Gotcha. Yes, I didn't have the grades to stray far. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, did you, what did you major in there? Was well, it journalism? Or? Hilariously, I went there to get a film degree, and halfway through my freshman or sophomore year, they eliminated the film department. Wow. And the only way that you could still get, like, a film specialization on your degree was to get a journalism degree. Huh. And, I mean, I'd always done the school paper, and I was interested in, you know, uh, entertainment writing, but that's the only reason I got a journalism degree was because... I needed, to, you know, that, you that's how that you finished the film program. Yeah. And so when you say they eliminated the film department, yeah, like all film studies, or I think they I, kept like... maybe one or two classes. But yeah, but that, that's the one thing I will say, like about Oregon. Like, uh-huh. I mean, and it, it's changed dramatically, but they were not known for uh, being big supporters of the arts in their schools. Weird. Yeah, and so a lot of times, you know, programs were always being cut. Uh, so yeah, that was unfortunate. But in fairness, University of Oregon wasn't really known as a performing arts school anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like anybody went there to get a theater degree. Yeah. Except Lisa Rinna, star of Days of Our Lives, <laughs> is, uh, one, is one of our famous, not even graduates. She uh, she dropped out when they refused to advance her to level two of the theater huh. department. Gotcha. Yeah. 
So she she got cut from the theater department. Essentially, yes. we commiserated over that. Uh, like like last year, I think it was. Yeah. yeah, I was like, oh, we have something in common. We both had a horrible drama teacher. <laughs> she she had a much worse experience because she was telling me about how they they literally told her like you'll never make it and you have mm-hmm. no talent and yeah, yeah. ha 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 yeah she shook them. <laughs> um, so it's funny that you say that. Oregon doesn't really support the arts because I feel like now the association of Oregon is like, you know, crunchy granola, like very yeah. liberal, very all about, you know, arts and stuff. And It's a so. weird um, dichotomy there because there there are people who love the arts and, you know, support them. And if you ever want like people to show up for a concert or a book signing, like people in Oregon are so great. But there's also um, a big faction of... Uh, you know, people who are very Republican, who, you know, want to just cut down trees and, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, don't care about the spotted owl. And uh, I, when I was living there, they had something called the Oregon Citizens Alliance, mm-hmm. which was a very um, anti-gay group. You know, and it's shocking because I do think of Oregon as like everybody's so lovely and open and warm. But then there's these pockets mm-hmm. that you kind of forget about. I guess it's the same with California. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> as we experienced with Prop 8. A few exactly. Yeah. yeah. You would be shocked to know that Prop 8 came from L.A. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you get your degree in journalism from the University of Oregon. Yes. With this emphasis in film. Yeah. <laughs> And then do you come on down to L.A.? And I came down to L.A. pretty quickly, mm-hmm. come to think of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I knew that was it was either L.A. or New York, and I can't stand the cold. <laughs> and I think, actually, what finally prompted me to make the move, because I've been talking about it for years, was there was massive flooding in town. And mm-hmm. I remember, like, trying to drive down the street, and, like, people were going by in canoes. <laughs> and I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, I don't have to live like this. You know, I can go to Los Angeles, just deal Uh with earthquakes. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I I made the move pretty quickly, probably too quickly, to be honest. I was not prepared. In what way? Like, uh... Uh, In every way. I mean, monetarily. Gotcha. Yeah, I definitely was not... I had not saved up enough money. I got myself into a lot of credit card debt. Um, I don't think emotionally I was prepared. (laughs) I didn't know anyone out here. Um, I really didn't know what I was getting into, but if I had known, I probably wouldn't have done it. Yeah. You know, so I guess it's a good thing I did. Yeah. And so when you moved down here, what was kind of, I know, I know you just said you weren't very prepared, but did you have an idea of what you wanted to do? I did. And very quickly learned that maybe that wasn't what I wanted to do. (laughs) Which, Um, was it acting or? Well, I had mainly writing, but Mm -hmm. also some performing and improv. And really, I just wanted to work on sets and I got to do some PA work pretty quickly on these like terrible I mean this was you know 15 20 years ago so low budget movies now mean something different that yeah. means they can be good this was when like low budget straight to dvd movies were just the worst things <laughs> ever and you were like shooting at like very sketchy locations at very weird hours and the end product was always terrible like nobody had any expectations mm-hmm. for it to be good so i saw that glamorous side of hollywood and yeah i realized pretty quickly that i actually don't like being on sets huh yeah <laughs> How come? Just... I find it so boring. <laughs> I do. And I'm sure, you know, it's different when I'm there to write mm-hmm. or I'm actually giving feedback or something, but all the waiting around, especially yeah. coming from a theater background, yeah, you know, where you just get out there and make stuff happen. Um, oh, it was so boring. And especially when you knew the end product was going to be at best terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure now it's different with, you know, shooting schedules being so condensed. 
for yes. it to save money that it probably moves a little faster now. Right. And then, you know, so. we have iPhones, so we can keep it entertained on set. <laughs> that is yeah. true, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very, and lately when I visited sets, it's been for like two or three days, and I've had a great time. Yeah. But, and also, you know, you know, being a PA on a set is probably the worst job you can possibly have. Yeah. yeah. Being a gopher. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. So you started to spend time on sets. Yes. And... As I assume as a PA was kind of how you started out. Yes. And and then... Very quickly ran and got an office job. Uh, yes. Where at? Uh, gosh, what was the first one? It was a... Um, I can't even remember the name of it, but it was a company. I don't even know if these exist anymore. That basically sells airtime. They act as mm-hmm. like a broker between stations and advertisers. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then, it was I was always kind of like, this was isn't that, really necessary. Is that Billy Crystal's job in was it? City Slickers, I think? Kind of. Although Does I think he did actual ads. I seem to recall that like he came up with the actual creative uh-huh. for ads because he has that one where Jeffrey Tambor is like, people are you know driving into traffic because yeah. this is so depressing or something like that. Like, I didn't even have that creativity. I literally sold air. That's No, know? that's what he says, I think, in City Slickers. He's got, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's City Slickers, but he's got a line where he goes, what do I do with my life? Yeah. I sell air. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was a good nine-to-five job and um, helped me settle here for mm. a couple years and then eventually led to, you know, working for some magazines, which mm-hmm. eventually led to me getting back into writing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it all... It all panned out in the end. Yeah. And is that around the time you landed at Backstage, I think, is where you... Yes, I kicked around at a couple different magazines, weirdly on the advertising side. and But the goal was always to do writing. And Backstage happened to be owned by the same company. I was working for a, a really obscure magazine. Um, and when they had an opening, I, like, jumped at it. And that's that's really what changed my life. Because I, you know, started there in the casting department where you basically input casting notices. Mm-hmm. And they gave everyone the opportunity to, you know, if you want to, you know, write a piece, if you want to interview someone. Like, it was really, really amazing that they just sort of opened their doors to us that way. And, uh-huh. and that's, like, I remember my first cover story ever was Jill Hennessy from Law & Order. At that point, she was on a show called Crossing Jordan, mm-hmm. and uh, I always have a very special place in my heart for her, because it was the first time I saw my name on a cover. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, was she kind of your first interview? Like Not my first interview, but my first cover story, and first, like, probably, like, truly sort of famous person. Uh-huh. Like, I, was, I guess, yeah. who, who's the first person when you go, I get to interview them? What? Um, probably Margaret Cho, which I interviewed for like an online website, uh-huh. you know, and that was just over the phone. And, um, and also again, I'm not into music, so I know this was a big deal, but there were some <laughs> people from Duran Duran uh-huh. that I can't even remember which ones. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> I think it was Simon Le bon, I think they were in a movie. He was in a movie called, um, Sugar Town. Okay. Yes. And so I got to go to like an actual press junket. Uh-huh. And sit down and, you know, in a room with a bunch of other people. And I just thought it was the most glamorous thing in the world. <laughs> yeah. Now I, like, groan when I have to do that. <laughs> but, yeah, Jill was the first person where I got to go to the set. I sat in her trailer. You know, it was just her and I. And we did photos. And it's cool. And yeah. It seems like you kind of fell in love with that process. Of, yes, absolutely. Of yeah. just getting to sit down with someone yeah. really amazing and... And again, I was so blessed because starting at Backstage, they, they, it used to be, I'm, I've, I've been removed from them for a while, so I don't really know, you know, the direction they've gone in lately, but for the longest time, it was like, we don't care about somebody's personal life. We want to know about the work. We want to hear about, you know, auditions. We want to hear about breaking in. Um, you can read all that stuff in other magazines. So it would be really great because, 
uh, actors and artists who knew us knew that like I wasn't there to you know with some agenda dig dig yeah. stuff up yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's funny because it seems like that's kind of the mo now of most yeah I think places. I mean I think that's what I guess clicks. actually I guess actually backstage is has kept true to that I, I feel think like they so. have stayed true yeah. to acting. I, um, like I said, I don't read it as much as I should anymore, yeah. but, uh, whenever I see it, it seems like, you know, they were also the, the magazine that would put like, this is, you know, we're talking over 10 years ago, we'd put JK Simmons on a cover. Yeah. You know, nobody was, he said, I remember I was supposed to meet him at the Four Seasons and he was so not Hollywood. He didn't know where the Four Seasons was <laughs> and he had to call me because he got lost on the way there. And then when we were there, he saw Robert Duvall and started freaking out. He was like, that's Robert Duvall. I love Robert Duvall. And then like just last year when he was at the Oscars, I reminded him of that story because I was like, now you're beating him for the Oscar. <laughs> remember when you wanted to meet Robert Duvall? Well. And then did he go, of course. Yeah, I'm better. <laughs> Better than enough. No, quite the opposite. <laughs> he's actually, it's so funny for someone who's like so full of bluster on screen. He's yeah. like so modest and like was kind of embarrassed that, that he was, you know, beating Robert Duvall for our awards. Yeah. He was like, in what world? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I, I know around that time where you were backstage, you also made a short film, The Crazy Love. Oh, yeah. Was that it? was, that sprung out. I started getting involved with a theater company called Sacred Fools uh -huh. and they do 24 hour plays. And it's such an amazing process. It's basically like you draw a noun and a verb from a hat mm. and you get a cast breakdown of like two men, one woman, and you don't know who you're writing for and you have to go off and write a script in like 12 hours and then the next day it gets cast, people's actors' names get pulled out of a hat, your director gets pulled out of a hat and they put up this play 12 hours later. They usually do eight short plays. And that got spun off into something called Instant Films which is the same idea, except you have 48 hours to make a movie. Mm -hmm. And I had done one of them before. And like, like let's be honest, the, the process is not designed to make great art. Yeah. But, but sometimes you get great art out of it. And more importantly, you just get out and do it. Mm -hmm. You know, we all talk so much about wanting to do these things. So to just do it is like so refreshing. And I just got really lucky and made this instant film that was kind of perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> um... My words were superstitious and chance. I think it was like a Friday the 13th theme or something like that. Mm. I can't remember. And so I've suffered from obsessive compulsive disorder my whole life. And so I wrote a short about a guy with really bad obsessive compulsive disorder. But the theory was, what if he was right? <laughs> like, what of all these things he's doing are actually controlling the universe? Yeah. And then because it's just my niche, it's also like a love story. Uh -huh. So, um, yeah, and that ended up, like, turning out way better than I could have imagined and ended up playing a lot of festivals mm -hmm. and, yeah, doing really, really well. Awesome. Yeah. And, and so, but it, I, because I, 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 in my research and, and finding that, it's like, are you, did you try to be a filmmaker or was that just that came out of your association with Sacred Fools and it's like... Really came out of my association yeah. with Sacred Fools and instant films and like I direct for stage. I'm not... I've, I've done, you know, a couple shorts mm -hmm. as a director, um, but it's not my strength. I'm still learning. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's just funny to uh, meet someone who, who made an award-winning short film that happened just uh, by a chance, Total you know? Total chance. Because yeah. I feel like the... It's, it works opposite now. Everybody's trying to make an award-winning film. Kind right. Of, you know, which, everybody's shooting for it. And, uh, <laughs> on a small and a large scale, it's so funny to me because um, I remember at backstage, they would get casting notices and say, we're making a viral video. 
And we're like, no, you're not. <laughs> like that's that's not what you don't set out to make a viral video. Yes. Like those yeah. things just happen. Um, you just do the best work you can, mm-hmm. you know, and hope it turns out well. And on a much larger scale, I see that in the Oscar race. Like, you know, we all know those movies that people are making because they really, really want to win an Oscar. Yeah. You know, and does it ever work? Occasionally, yeah. maybe. Yeah. You know, but... you get the right heads together. Yes. Yeah. But we've all seen those Oscar bait movies that are just begging us to vote for them, and yeah. they're almost always terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I... Some people will dispute this because they'll think that The Revenant is a movie that was made to win Oscars. Uh-huh. I actually don't think that's true. I don't think anybody went into this and said, like, oh, we're going to sweep the Oscars with this movie about a guy, you know, bleeding for two <laughs> hours. <laughs> um, or maybe they did. And if so, like, you know, it just it just so happened that it connected with people. Also, let's be honest, Leonardo DiCaprio had no competition this year. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> I guess we'll, we'll get into that a yeah. little later. Okay. I would love to talk Oscar snubs. Sorry, and all it that. always goes in that direction. No worries. Yeah. <laughs> but so in your in your time of making, you know, you made this award-winning short film and you're working at Backstage, you being a journalist, was that was that really where you saw yourself going? And, and No, I always saw myself writing movies or writing for TV. Um, but I, I don't know, maybe I got complacent. I really enjoyed mm-hmm. what I was doing. And enjoyed, you know, having the luxury to go off and do a play or do a short film here or there. And, you know, in that whole time, you know, you're always taking meetings with people and trying to make bigger things happen. And it just takes so long. (laughs) Or, like, you know, so many things I've come close on and they fell through. Or, you know, I did a lot of um, um, script doctoring, Mm -hmm. you know, for various movies. And, you know, some which got made, some which never did and probably shouldn't have, you know. But it's like you, there's nothing you can point to to people to say, like, look, I did this. Yeah. You know? And honestly, some some of the movies I worked on, I don't think I would want <laughs> people to know. <laughs> lots of horror it, films, for some reason. There's lots of horror Seems rights. to be the most popular yeah. thing for people starting out and trying to make their way. Yeah. I, I never understood people who said, um, you know, that I have friends who they'll, like, do a movie and they'll be like, oh, I haven't even seen it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you have to see it. But there are movies I've, you know gotten paid for mm-hmm. that I've never seen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Any any of note that you want to mention? Or? I don't know if I should. Um, it's probably not that hard to figure out. I did like a one that was like a big remake. And they hardly used anything of mine too. Uh-huh. That's the other thing. I'm one of like 60 people. Like gotcha. I, sh- I shouldn't get credit. Um, and I worked like three days on it. But uh, yeah, it's, you know. It's it's look at any of the bad remakes of eighty horror films, and I probably did something with them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so when do you make the jump from backstage to variety? Because that's that's a pretty big. Yeah. You know. Move. It's funny, and I wasn't really looking to move, um, and I got a call kind of out of the blue from Variety expressing an interest, and I didn't get my hopes up or I didn't get too excited because I was like, that'd be really cool if it happened, but I've learned, as I just said in this business, not to get too invested in anything. Yeah. It almost always falls through. And so I was very blasé about the process. You know, I went in, I went in and met with everyone, and then they offered me the job, and I was like... And like I said, I wasn't like looking to leave, but I also knew it would be dumb to turn down. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I went and I just remember like my first two weeks, I was like, everyone's so nice, <laughs> which is not to say that anyone was mean to me anywhere else, but I just thought at a certain level you had to be a jerk uh-huh. or that like things would run differently. And I, I remember just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Uh-huh. I was like, why is everyone being so nice? 
Like they're like little you thing. thought they were gonna dump all this work on you that was gonna end your career or something. Or I'm a little more dramatic than that, so I probably thought that they were gonna like steal my kidneys. Oh, or something. Jeez, <laughs> yeah. they hired you for your kidneys. Yeah, exactly. I got great <laughs> kidneys. Um, once I give up the gluten, they'll be perfect. Um, yeah, no, I was just you know, I it's it's hilarious. I have a writer's imagination, so I'm always like, yeah, what do they like? What's the what's, what's the ulterior end plan motive? here? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I get that. I've worked on that in therapy. I'm uh, much better about it now. <laughs> yeah, well, clearly they weren't after your kidneys. Yeah, not yet. Now you're, yeah. you're you're working a lot there. I mean, yeah. is that is that your a full time job? Would you say like it is? I mean, it comes in waves. Like I said during Oscar season, yeah, it's you know eighty hours a week. But then you know, and right now we're in Emmy season, so it's pretty crazy. But then there are like pockets of time where I can take a little time off and go work on a show, or mm-hmm. um, you know, I I thought I had a show that was gonna get picked up by a network and it like fell apart at the 11th hour that you wrote co-wrote yeah i mean that you were a writer on i guess yeah i was i co-wrote it with someone who was a name so Mm -hmm. based on their name gotcha you know it it actually did get picked up and then they dropped out of it Uh and like the whole thing just like fell apart in a weekend yeah and i was like i'm so glad like i didn't like you know go into work and be like Screw you all! I'm out of here. You know, my pilot might be picked up. Yes, I'm out. Exactly. Well, it, it actually was picked <laughs> or up. My pilot got picked yes, up. Yes, but out. I knew better than to uh, burn any bridges. Not that yeah. I would have anyway. There's, you know, there's nothing to burn. But like, I'm, I'm very cautious, mm-hmm. which has actually probably hindered me yeah. a lot in this industry. I wish I was a little more reckless. Yeah, I guess. Well, one of my main questions, I guess, is because as an actor, we. Uh, you know there's so many of us now and things are so easy to make that the money is just Mm -hmm. kind of dissipating where it's like you know the everyone's fighting over like you know cents and pennies yeah it feels like and as journalists i mean as we saw in like spotlight that's an art form that's kind of going by the wayside and online content and everything i mean do you guys feel that pressure as well where oh absolutely where journalists have writer like i have to do this other job in order to make ends meet oh no not so much to make ends meet but like there's definitely pressure to get clicks Mm -hmm. to you know get your stories read um it's it's so funny every journalist i know who saw spotlight like is so nostalgic about like when the papers come off you know the printer at the end yeah. and get thrown on door and like you see them like tear up when they talk about her like you know journalists taking notes on notepads you know yeah. <laughs> um i mean the internet has has done some amazing things but also it's you know it's it's sort of diluted the content out there and i don't yeah. know you know aside from like the boston globe if we really have spotlight departments like that anymore mm-hmm. um but again, I you know I'm lucky because I chose entertainment journalism. Uh-huh. You know I'm not I'm not doing what the guys in Spotlight did. Yeah. It's not life or death. It's not you know investigative reporting. Yeah. You know I'm allowed to have a little fun with it and hopefully walk that line of being informative and also entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you are. Oh well, thank you. <laughs> and uh, I mean, one of the first places I saw you was at a SAG Foundation screening. Yeah. And and you essentially moderate these Q&As of these amazing films with the stars of the amazing films. Um, Do you remember the one you saw? I believe it was The Homesman. The home. Oh, Hilary Swank. Hilary Swank. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, and so I think that, yeah, that's where I first saw you or, or you came out and moderated and I go, I know that name and it's because... <laughs> You know, watching the SAG Foundation videos and stuff. Yeah. Like as, you know, as an actor, I don't know if you've researched me at all, but I'm I love an actor. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm an actor, and um, you know, when you see these 
you know, as an actor, I'm sure you know, you've done theater, like the talk of mm-hmm. how, how it got made or, or, or uh, not necessarily arguing, but debating over what this means, what that means, what were you going for, you know, yeah. all that stuff. That's, that's so much fun and you get to do it. Yeah, <laughs> it of. is. It's a blast. Yeah. And yeah. And also with the best of the best. It seems Seriously, like. so. I'm so lucky. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, I, I mean, with that in mind, is, is, would you say that, is there like a common thread between all the, the best of the best, like the people that you talk to, would you say there's a common thread? It's going to um, sound cliche, but they're in it because they love the work. Mm-hmm. They don't love fame. Like, I, I am good friends with many actors of varying degrees of success. And... The ones who are happy are the ones who are just happy to be doing good work, mm-hmm. you know, and the ones who are unhappy are the ones who are chasing fame. Um, and sometimes you can find someone who's a combo of both. Mm-hmm. And in a way that might be the best place to be because you should not get into this job if you can't handle the fame. Yeah. It's scary and can be horrible. <laughs> and if you're not going to enjoy it, yeah. you know, um, find something else to do unless you really can't, unless you really love the work so much. Yeah. You know, but they, they do. They, they're in it because they love the artistry of it. They want to work with good people. Um, you know, they're not just looking for their 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I saw on your blog, you, you wrote one of your favorite, but what, what, who's your favorite interview? Well, it's probably changed because I just did Tom Hiddleston. I was going to say, yeah. cause, well, because you, you said Peter O'Toole back in 2013, and I'm wondering yeah. if it's changed since. Oh, Peter so. O'Toole was, he wasn't actually a live Q&A, he was uh, an interview. Right, right. I mean, yes, I mean just who, of, oh, of the okay. people you've interviewed. Peter O'Toole was amazing. I mean, Ryan Gosling is a great one. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's just, and I, you know, I first interviewed him before he was Ryan Gosling. I mean, he'd done The Notebook, mm-hmm. but he was not... You know, a household name. He was not... I don't even think he was a sex symbol at the time. Yeah, he wasn't you know? the meme. The yeah, the exactly. <laughs> so it's been really fun to watch. Because I remember he... Um, you know, we, we did a lot of events together. And my friends were like, Oh, you know, I saw your buddy the other day. And then they were like, you know... And then they saw him become like a huge star. Yeah. And they were like, that guy that like used to just like come hang out and like was always at the 101 cafe is like now a bona fide movie star. <laughs> um, Philip Seymour Hoffman was a really great one because mm-hmm. he was just, I mean, talk about doing it for the work. He like did not want to be doing publicity for this movie. And he was, for which one? It was for a little movie called love Liza that his brother wrote. And that's a lot of times for backstage, you would get people for these smaller movies mm-hmm. because they were passion projects. And he let me know in a very nice way right off the bat that he doesn't like doing interviews that much. Uh-huh. And he, he'd had a lot of bad experiences. This was before Capote and uh-huh. everything where everybody just knew him as that fat guy <laughs> from the Paul Thomas Anderson movies. And he told, he, I remember he gave me a list of like adjectives that have been used against mm-hmm. him, you know, like pudgy or stubby or rotund, you know? Yeah. Um, so he was like great and just kind of a, didn't give a crap way. And I <laughs> bet him that he would win an Oscar within the next five years. And I remember him saying, They'll, they're never going to give me an Oscar. And like three years later, he won for Capote and he had to give me $20. Did he actually give you $20? <laughs> he actually did, yes. <laughs> but the best actually was Richard Jenkins um, because I saw The Visitor at... And I've been a huge Richard Jenkins fan for years. And again, before you know anyone knew his name, he was always that guy. Mm-hmm. And he um, had never done a press junket. He had never been the lead in a movie. And he did The Visitor. And I saw it in Toronto. And the movie didn't come out till like a year later. And I told him at the time, I was like, you're going to get an Oscar nomination for this. And he was like, oh, you know, didn't want to hear it. 
And I eventually bet him that he would. And he he's so funny. He has all these stories of like the year that he was nominated for an Oscar. He was also nominated for like a Golden Globe and mm-hmm. all these other things. And he has stories of going to these award shows and limos. And the security guard would stop the limo and be like, uh, who have you got here? And they'd be like, oh, we have a Best Actor nominee. And the security guard would look at Richard Jenkins and go, are you punking me? <laughs> like, um, but uh, so I made him bet me $500 that he'd get an Oscar nomination. And his wife told me that the morning of the Oscars, the first thing he said was, oh, my God, I can't I can't believe this. I'm an Oscar nominee. And the second thing he said was, oh, God, I have to page it out. And he did. He had a check written for me. I ran into him at the SAG Awards, and he was like, oh, and he like reached into his pocket and pulled out a check. And I was like, of course, I'm not going to cash that, but I'm going to frame it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Uh, that's, wow. So I guess we, we started on favorites. Yes, sorry. So I frequently but, get distracted. No, I mean, that's fine. I mean, but that was, so. It's hard not to say Angelina Jolie. Yeah. Like, I've had two amazing experiences with her. Um, she's just like everything you would hope she was. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to think who else are some of my favorites. I mean, Brian Cranston is tough to top. Yeah. Yeah. The guy's perfect. Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, Brie Larson, of course. Yeah. Yeah. You've, you've interviewed them all. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I mean, Johnny Depp, that mm-hmm. was someone who really surprised me by being so normal, mm-hmm. you know, and having such a sense of humor about himself. Cause I remember like. One time I was like, oh my God, you smell so good. <laughs> and he's like, I only look homeless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like the self-awareness. Yeah. Like, really. Is it an image thing? Is it like, a, well, I got to keep up this image? Or... I think that he's just he just sort of does what he wants to do. But uh-huh. he's aware that people are like, you dress like a homeless person. Yeah. You know, and he's just kind of like, whatever. You know, he's Johnny Depp. <laughs> he does what he wants. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned Leo not having competition. Yeah. This year. <laughs> I feel bad because I just mean that in the sense of like, that doesn't mean there weren't great performances. Yeah. You know, in fact, a lot of my favorite performances never even get nominated. Right. Yeah. And I was going to say, like, would you like to weigh in on the whole, like, when, for instance, like, my, my, the biggest snub for me in the last few years was was, uh, David Oyelowo for Selma. No, right. And and also Tom Hanks for Captain Phillips. That was the last ten minutes of Captain Phillips are a masterclass in acting. Yeah, and I don't know if it's just because we're so used to him being good, we just expect that from him. I I, I have no. I mean, that was a really really crowded year. Yeah, you know. But I was I was pretty shocked that they were omitted. I really liked, and I know I'm in the minority here. Um, Will Smith and Concussion. Yeah. This year. Yeah. I thought he was fantastic. I thought it was like such a brave performance. You know, I really liked the movie, mm-hmm. but um, I also am able to recognize that, you know, most people don't agree with me on yeah. that one. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal in Nightcrawler two mm-hmm. years ago was one of the best performances I've ever seen. Um, he's always fantastic. Uh, what other? I really there were a lot of women in leading roles this last year that I think were unfairly overlooked. I thought Emily Blunt was fantastic in Sicario. I thought Carrie Mulligan was great in Suffragette. Um, and I feel like, I don't know, some of, some of the choices made in that category were kind of lazy. Yeah. Yeah. Not that it mattered because Brie was going to win. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but from your perspective, I mean, I know that politics plays a huge oh, part in all gosh, this. Oh my gosh, yes. But so you, I mean, yeah. you're somewhat consider an insider in all this and you see at least more than we do mm-hmm. uh, as common folk that, that just read the <laughs> Um But you probably 
kind of witness firsthand a lot of the politicking that goes on for it. Yeah. And I mean, so what, I guess, the, to formulate in a question, what goes into a nomination for an I mean, Oscar, a lot of money you know? gets spent. You know, there's, that's no secret, you know, buying for your consideration ads, shipping DVDs, you know, um, all studios spend a lot of money. I might be hopelessly naive and that I do think at the end of the day, people vote for who they want to vote for. Um, but what the campaigning can do is get the movie seen, you mm. know, um, something like Room, which was probably my favorite movie last year. It was either Room or Creed. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to get people to see that movie. I get it. You know, cause I've had this discussion with so many people and I've had to tell them like, it's not what you think. It's like, yes, it's a tough subject matter, but it's not a sad child. Like you're going to see a happy child in this movie and, you know, just, just, and then everyone I know who does eventually see it, like, thanks me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but like, that's... Wait, you're actually having to convince people to watch this oh, movie? Oh, so many people. So many people have told me, like, I never would have seen that movie if you hadn't pushed it so hard. Then there's the flip side with my friends who just got sick of me talking about it <laughs> and would, like, post on my Facebook page, hey, have you heard anything about this movie, Room? It looks kind of good. <laughs> <laughs> well, did this happen before all the Oscar buzz started? Definitely. Is that like, why, maybe? Like, yes. did you see it at, uh, was it Toronto? I saw or? it at Toronto. Um, well, no, actually, I saw it slightly before Toronto because I've been on the room train for a while. <laughs> yeah, I gotcha. So, yeah. Because it's, it's baffling because you see, you know, billboards for it and stuff. Yeah. Like, I don't see how anyone could... See the quotes and everything from like from right. from, but from the trade. Even but. after the amazing reviews and all the festival wins and all the press that Brie and Jacob were doing, there were people who just didn't want to see it. And once the Oscar nominations came out, I think it got a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Like I think it made more money after the in like the two weeks after the Oscar nominations yeah. than it had made in like the three months leading up to that. Which is like one of those things that like is is nice about the Oscars. You know, it can get movies like that scene. But mm-hmm. I just felt like anyone who saw that movie and that performance, there was no way they were voting for anyone other than Brie Larson. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. Wow. That's crazy that you had to convince people to see it. I mean, I get it, especially um, parents. Yeah. You know, it's it's tough. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't have kids, so maybe it's easier for me. If it had been about, like, a dog locked in a room, I probably would have had a real problem. <laughs> Were there any others in the recent years that you had to do that for that you think like, why isn't nobody watching this or? I felt that way about Nightcrawler. Yeah. Like I loved that movie and it felt like it was getting a lot of attention early on. And then the day of the Oscar nominations, Mm -hmm. you know, like I thought it should have been a best picture nominee, director, screenplay easily. Rene Russo, Mm -hmm. Jake Gyllenhaal. Again, Jake was, you know, victim to a very crowded category, but um, I thought Riz Ahmed should have been nominated. Uh, on the flip side, that same year, my other favorite movie was Whiplash. Mm-hmm. And to see the attention that got was really great. Yeah. Yeah, I love that movie. Actually, my three favorite movies that year were all compound words. It was Birdman, Whiplash, <laughs> and Nightcrawler. <laughs> I guess. Um, this might be a weird question, but what is your favorite movie? Do you uh, have a favorite movie? Yeah, Raising Arizona. Really? Yes, I'm a huge Coen Brothers geek. Huh. And that, I just remember seeing that movie and just being like, I didn't know you could do these things <laughs> in movies, like strap a camera to the back of a baby and the weird humor, mm-hmm. you know, which now we've gotten used to. But in 1987, I think mm-hmm. it was like, it was very strange, offbeat humor. Yeah. You know, um, I also love on the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, the Jose Ferrer, Serena de Bergerac. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause you know, love stories. So. <laughs> gotcha. Um, cool. Do you um do you think 
we're gonna like run out of stories at any point well there's uh, i'm gonna get this wrong but there's an expression that says there's really only like five stories and yeah. we just have to figure out how to tell them um but i have to say like i'm still like you know uh, i don't know if you've heard of this movie the lobster i have yeah i really adored this movie yeah yeah and you know that's a story that i've never really seen told in that way where mm-hmm. and and you know resonates with me but like you either have to find a mate or you get turned into an animal yeah you know <laughs> and like people are just so accepting of it um so i think there will always be stories to tell you know i mean yeah. and you know we're definitely look we have right now opening this weekend like probably the best superhero movie yeah ever with civil war well, you know. I was going to say, I guess what I'm more mean is like running out of stories to tell, I guess, in the industry, mm-hmm. um, all the funding is going towards remakes and yes. sequels and reboots and superheroes. So mm-hmm. when you get a story like Room, you know, the funding for movies like that are kind of yeah you know, going going down. And they have to be good. Room only worked because, you know, it, it was based on a best-selling book and the writer had offers, bigger offers from bigger filmmakers. And she held out because one, she said she didn't, she didn't need a movie of -hmm. this story. Like she was so happy with the book and she ended up going with an obscure Irish director who at that point had made two tiny films overseas. He hadn't yet done Frank, Mm -hmm. um, with Michael Fassbender, which like, I think really gave him some cachet. They could have cast a big star in it. You know, I'm sure there was no end to, um, popular actresses in their 20s who wanted that part. In mm-hmm. fact, I know there wasn't because I know several people who auditioned for it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they all knew that the only way this movie would work and the only way people would get out to see it was if they did it right. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was a movie, like, crafted with such love and with all the right intentions, mm-hmm. again, and, you know, that's why it worked. Yeah. Uh, it does seem like nowadays that something has to work at that level, like, it's such a powerful story mm-hmm. and so great, and it wasn't made for so much money, and it just has to work. And it, it seems like it's getting harder and harder to, you know, be able to make those kinds of movies where yeah. where it, if it works, it's amazing, you know? And but also not to um, sell reboots or sequels short, because my other favorite of the movie of the year was Creed. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, and that was a word, yeah. very well-done reboot. Who and... saw that coming? Like, yeah. I remember um, doing... Uh, stuff for Fruitvale Station mm-hmm. with Ryan Coogler and Michael B. Jordan and they were talking about, you know, doing Creed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what are you thinking? Really? Like, <laughs> yes, I thought that's the worst idea I've ever heard. Huh. Yeah. It, re- <laughs> it reminds me of my friend who went to school with Lin-Manuel Miranda and he was talking about two different plays he was working on and she's like, that Alexander Hamilton thing is going nowhere. <laughs> like, <laughs> now she can't get tickets. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I was just like, what a horrible idea. Like, you know, you're you're about to break through and you have this amazing movie and now you're going to go do a Rocky sequel? <laughs> you know, like, what are you thinking about? You know, and who cares about Apollo Creed? And, <laughs> You know, I'd forgotten just, like, how powerful yeah. Apollo Creed was in the, that first movie. Like, yeah. You know, what an icon he was. And, like, yeah, that's a case where I was so happy to be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Good thing you didn't make a bet on that one. I know, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I, boy, I think I started crying 15 seconds into that movie and didn't stop until an hour after it was over. Mm-hmm. I was such a mess. Yeah. In, in Creed? Yes. <laughs> I loved that movie. Did you, yeah. did you like the Rocky movies? And... You know, I think I had forgotten how good they were. 
uh-huh. because I went back after I saw Creed and I'd forgotten my, how strong my, mistal- my nostalgia was, mm-hmm. you know, because I was like, yeah, I like the Rocky movies fine. And then when they, when they play the theme <laughs> and when you see the trunks, you know, oh, I was a mess. And then I went back and I forgot the first Rocky really is a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. It really is. And the second one is very strong. And then from that point on, they're fun. Mm-hmm. You know, but they, you know, the, the the history has sort of been watered down. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, that was another performance, Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. That, like, I think was a shame. Wasn't yeah. recognized more. Back to your interview with Peter O'Toole, he yeah. said something very interesting, which is, like, essentially only a handful of actors can actually act. Oh, yeah. Do you, do you agree with him on that, or... Wow, that's interesting because Emma Thompson just said something today. I haven't read it yet, but it's popping up all over mm-hmm. my news feed about how like too many actors today can't act and they're just in it for the fame. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to quote her because I, I haven't actually read the story, but it sounds like most of my friends are on her side yeah. <laughs> based on what I've the likes I've been seeing. Um, it's interesting because I do think that there are some people who are just born with inherent talent. Mm-hmm. I remember Janine Garofalo once, um, she did this movie Mystery Men. And with William H. Macy, who is very trained, you know, comes from a, a, a big background of teaching and coaching. And he would, he basically said, like, he's like, I love the way Janine Garofalo acts. And she's never had a class in her life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like this natural talent. And, um, but then on the other hand, it's like William H. Macy is perfect. And that, and he credits it all to training. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think everyone has like some ability in them it just depends on like how it's nurtured and i do think that um a lot of people don't put the work into it mm-hmm. that i think you'd see in actors from like the 40s or the 50s or even um european actors you know people will say like what's the difference between like all these english people coming over and stealing our roles it's like they have hardcore training yeah 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 but then, you know, somebody will just come out of the blue, like Jacob Tremblay in Room, mm-hmm. you know, eight years old and delivers one of the best performances I've ever seen. And you're like, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder, though, about kids, because it's like, I... I yeah, kids are different. Kids are different because yeah. acting on set takes so much focus. And obviously, mm-hmm. it's a kid. Like, yeah. you know, they're not going to... They don't just freeze and get into the headspace like, you know, adults, I feel like, do. Although, I think that when Dakota Fanning was a child, that's Mm -hmm. what she did. Yeah. Like, people would tell me it was eerie to, like, watch her process. Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) I guess everybody has their process. Cool. Uh, do you, you don't you probably don't have anything to promote or anything like that? I mean, is there anything you want people to go see um, that that anybody's? I have a short using? I directed on Funny or Die. It's just two minutes long. It's cute. Called Grand Gestures. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, uh, and I had a short play at the Tribeca Film Festival last year That's that cool. is just now sort of starting to screen and I think will be available soon. Called Warning Labels. That actually it's like. It started off as a 24-hour play, mm-hmm. and then when I was working on developing a film with my friend Jennifer Morrison, she wanted to do a short film first, and she went through some of my old scripts and found this one and really liked it, and she ended up doing this amazing job, like, you know, it's, it's she totally transferred it to another medium. Mm-hmm. You know, she knows film and TV better than anyone, and she made this great little short film out of it, and I have the most amazing cast. Karen Gillan is so fantastic in it. Um, Eric Christian Olsen, mm-hmm. you know, is hilarious. Like that guy should be a huge, huge star. Um, yeah. So it's, a, it's a really fun film that, uh, hopefully will be available to the public soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And then um, always doing stuff at Sacred Fools Theater. Always? Sacredfools.org. Yeah, I got to wow. be there tonight, as a matter of fact. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Didn't realize that you were doing, other, like, you know, everybody, everybody's got something else that they're doing. Yeah. You know? yeah. Everybody's doing something other than what we know that they're doing. And it's awesome. Yeah. Actually, I'll be doing um, at the Hollywood Fringe in June. I'll be doing a piece at Sacred Fools. Um, I don't know the dates yet, but I just go to sacredfools.org. Um, there's like a competition show that we do where we're like five short plays compete against each other. Serial killers. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we're going to be doing serial killers for the fringe. So I'm going to be doing a piece that's going to be very political. So oh. this will be my first foray into political comedy. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, if people like it, it'll, it'll go forward. Awesome. Yes. Cool. Well, Thanks so much for Thank stopping you. by. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And uh, best of luck to everything. And yeah, so I guess if there's nothing else you want to chat about, I mean, I guess it's time for the sign off. Okay, so. I'll do it in my, my best DJ voice. Um, okay. Sidekickback Radio. Perfect. <laughs> Nailed it.